Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer, and I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I design tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here today with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Uh, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I am the owner of Nerdrigger Games, and I make a bunch of tabletop role-playing games as well. And uh, in particular, we both are involved in publishing on our own, and that's going to mean something when we get to uh, our talk a little bit later. But we have a guest with us as uh, usual, and also a designer and publisher publishes their own stuff. Uh, Pete. Hey, Pete. I'm a returning guest. You are? Yeah. <laughs> a repeat. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, you may know me, Pete Petrusha, as the... Uh, the guy who's bringing you to the role-playing game, but uh, I do publish and design games as the creative director of Imagining Games. And I'm also the uh, Midwest sales affiliate for Indie Press Revolution. Um, Jess, we need to make a note uh, uh, in the production notes that uh, next time Pete is on, it will be a three-peat. <laughs> and then after that, it will be a four-peat. And then, you know, ad nauseum. Uh, yes. Well, I learned something. I only get a three-peat because a four-peat doesn't mean anything, right? So that uh, clearly I'm a trilogy. That's I <laughs> yeah. get cut off. You're a, you have to you're, change your you're, name. You're a, tur yeah. you're a turkey. <laughs> I'm a turkey. You're, you're a hat trick. There's there's a term. There's all sorts of. That's the intro, I've, I've realized that that there's all sorts of terms for three of something. What? Yeah. Why? That's a, it's a magic yeah. number. I don't know what the yeah. deal is. It's, but nothing for trilogies, four. Trilogies, hat tricks. The, the turkey, you know, doing things three times yeah. is the turkey. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, four quarters and, to a dollar. But other than that, nobody cares. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, and that's in English. And I'm curious if that is something that repeats in other languages, too. So maybe we have to ask some of some guests when we have them on who speak other languages is 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 are there words for like, you know, three of this, three of that all the time? Is that a thing that just it's like. Is it a human experience or is it an English experience? There was a language that I studied in one of my linguistics classes back in college where four was the number of repetition in storytelling. So I wonder if they have a word wow. for four of something. I'll have to look it up. It's in one of my books on my bookshelf. You know, the, rule, the rule of comedy is three times as funny. <laughs> and that goes two different ways. You can, you can be, do, do the funny thing three times. And then after that, it starts to get rep repetitive. Um, and then there's also when you do the list, you list like the normal thing, the normal thing, and then the weird thing. You don't do like seven normal things and then the weird thing. You like you get to the joke. It's like normal, normal, weird. That's the, that's another rule of three. But anyway, we digress. Well, we were yeah. talking about rules, so a good transition for that is what we're <laughs> well, talking about for our first topic. And it leads me to think also. I heard a great podcast. It was actually Jason Morningstar talking about like rules for LARPs because he does a lot of podcasts talking about LARPs, like Nordic LARP. But he had this great, God, he had resources that he, he referenced, but it was basically like this rule of thought that like when you want to make something complicated in a story, like a mystery, that four is the magic number because you can give four points of interest to, to a certain thing. But when you start like making it that there's like eight characters, eight relationships to start thinking about of who could be the murderer or even five, but four is the magic number after four you start to put too many things in a person's mind for them to actually mentally keep track of. Oh. So the point of interest is that like when you're making something interesting, like whether it's a screenplay or a, a game session or something, if you do like eight relationships and you're like, which one could it be? You, you They might leave being like, oh, there's way too many options. It wasn't challenging. There's no way we'd figure it out. But if you teeter with that four to five, they'll, they'll be like, yeah, it was so good. It was like, it was like 
we should have saw it coming, but we didn't. <laughs> so there is a I magic like to four, which is that that's that's the limit of how many things you can introduce as a possible like option. Maybe that's why multiple choice tests have four things. But well, there's rule of four. Isn't that yeah. one of the Shake Sherlock Holmes things? Deal. The rule of four. We should do, yeah, we should, we should do, do a whole podcast on the significance of yeah. different numbers. In- you know how many times like it's the villain yeah. is like the first person you meet, but then they introduce four or five more people. And then you're like, you forget about the first person. So yeah, yeah. that, okay. We got to put that on there's our something list. to it. There, there's like science that's behind a, it. Yeah. That's a, that's a good rule to like, to do the thing where you like introduce the thing and then to get them to get the players or the readers or the viewers or whoever to forget about that thing temporarily you introduce like four or like you said four or five more because now their minds are stuck on those four and that one's still kind of there and when you bring it back then they go aha (laughs) i forgot about that because you purposely manipulated them into forgetting it that's what we're all going for is you want the aha not the like oh that movie sucked (laughs) yeah that has opened up so many cool (laughs) ideas anyway um (laughs) <laughs> this is not at all what our topic is for the day we're we're very off topic in a very interesting way but i i like it because i think i think that there are definitely some um jamming tips <laughs> well and it's the segue to write like complicated rule yeah. sets kind of so like right? yeah and it's complicating ways you can complicate things from the get-go yeah right if your player is thinking about four different ways of how they play their character before you even start no wonder why they're not really getting into character and role-playing because they have too many <laughs> other things on their mind yeah, we're going to we're going to dive into um, GMing games with lots of rules and just ideas and thoughts on how GMs can help to make that a little easier for the players to kind of wrap their heads around and get into because too many rules um, and especially too many rules too quickly can result in, as we've demonstrated already, forgetting about some of them. <laughs> um, but also what uh, is commonly referred to in the RPG world as analysis paralysis. Yeah. Where you've just got mm-hmm. too many choices. I don't know what's the best choice for this particular situation. If you got too many different rules and things that go on, like just ways to kind of think about that from from the GMing standpoint and how we can help players with that. Too many is overwhelming. And keep, and keep things right. easy for us, easier for us as GMs too. So yeah, I think one cool. of the first time, like the first places that players start to suffer from analysis paralysis is creating their character in the first place. Oh, you yeah. have all of these. So, I mean, some people, like if they've been playing a game for long enough, they know exactly what they want to do next. But if they're encountering a new game or it's a game that they're not so familiar with and there are all of these different source books to choose from and there are all of these like character options that can make that character creation process that you would hope maybe you could even do during your session zero. That can make it a days long trick through texts and 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 lore so what what can a gm do to assist a player in negotiating that first step i think the the first thing that's always really oh can't i don't know if it's daunting like how do you pick what game you play and mm-hmm. i think that sometimes that that's kind of the best ways like any group you're as a game master you're kind of trying to match elements to your players now how well you know them or what they like or who they are or how they play the better you can do so but there'd still even be skill in like, you know, you being able to adequately competently do so. But yeah, I mean, like there's plenty of people, like I I laugh so hard that like in Southern California, there's still this hardcore regiment of people play GURPS. They must be all the people who play GURPS still are in Southern California because you go there and everyone, if you mention anything like fate or like dream chaser, in my case, like universal games, they're like, Oh, like GURPS. 
And you're like, what world am I in that suddenly everyone refers everything to GURPS? (laughs) So, um, but a lot of times, if you can pick a game, you could pick something that's got less complexity. The first thing you made me think of with character creation is point by, right? Point by is a big, a big thing because it's a sudden turnoff for some people because it's like the point of having analysis paralysis. Oh, I can buy stuff. Here's a chart of how much they cost. And here's hundreds of options. Some games like White Wolf limit, you know, the amount of choices you have or the number of points. And then games like maybe Mutants and Masterminds are like, go to town. Here's hundreds yeah. of points. You here's know? everything. Here are every little piece of power that you want and put them together. Craig, can you think of a game? I know that there's some game I, I was, oh, I was thinking like Rollmaster. Rollmaster has a game called Harp, which is the rules light version of oh. Rollmaster. Oh, oh uh, my gosh. And you have a 700 point point buy. It's like, here you go, make a character. Here's 700 points. You and almost like, made me spit wow. <laughs> well, there's there's an analogous situation in that with if you're playing a game. I don't know. I, I haven't looked at it in depth at the newest Shadowrun, but I know in earlier versions of Shadowrun, if you played, and this goes kind of to any game where you could potentially start, like your character build is going to be based around having a lot of cool equipment. You're going to start with a bunch of money. And you're going to have to spend all that money or at least a big chunk of it. And like, what do you spend it on? Well, here's 17 pages of possible things <laughs> you can spend it on. That's That becomes a lot. Where as a GM, you might limit that and say, okay, let's like, you've got a character that's going to be like super tech person that's going to have all, like going to have the right tool for the job all the time. Well, maybe let, let's, and you've got all this money to spend. Like maybe let's have your character start first session. You've got a quarter of that money, buy some things that are in a certain realm that make your character good at this thing. And then like we can, we can in the, in the story, we can come up with a reason for your character to come into more money as you go. And that way the player can kind of build up to the point of having to make all these choices. And they might in the process too, as you're buying that equipment, you might be unlocking different, you know, the need to use different rule subsystems. And so the player now has to be like, okay, I've got 42 pieces of equipment and seven brand new rule subsystems that only I have to deal with or like, you know, how these different things work that that can be overwhelming to the player. So make, you know, like one of the things that I made as a big note coming into talking about this was like how different ways that you can slow build into getting to that whole big package of rules. There's ways you don't have to start out right with every rule subsystem in the game. You don't have to start out at the midpoint of the level or your power up system or whatever the character point system is like start with a you know start with starting level characters minimize the choices that people have to make minimize the num- the, the the different um, subsystems that might need to be learned early and then build into that as you go yeah you want to be sort of a curator as the gm in these cases i think like Maybe you could do the the limiting of the amount of points that you're you're spending in that case, like you mentioned, like the amount of money, and then we'll add more later. Or you can curate the lists or the source books or even uh, the options, like the character options. One really good tip I got for role-playing convention games for like if you have playbooks or even with like pre-generated characters is not put every single option there on the table for your convention players, but to pick the ones that you think would work best, like being a curator in this case, as the GM, picking a couple options that will pique some interest and leaving out options that might be just distracting or would cause people to think about things longer. It's it's not going to 
it's, it's not harmful to limit the options for somebody. It's going to be helpful and allow them to make better and more creative choices if they don't, you know, if they're not spending all of their creative energy, just picking the thing first. Yeah. You brought up a great point. Um, still thinking of a lot about what Craig said too, of the, of basically how you portray it, but yeah, pre-generated character seems like the most frequent go-to if it is a complicated game yeah. or if you're short on time. Like, hey, I don't know if my group will want to keep playing this game, but we want to try Gerbs or Shadowrun or even there's plenty of games, even something like Burning Wheel that are deceptively complicated because it's not the mechanics per se. It's the number of mechanics or the number of choices, like hundreds of options of skills or something, you know? Which is the thing that makes the game fun. Yeah, yeah. And I love what you said, Jess, of like, we geek out over the game, right? Because clearly if you're running the game, you're probably geeking out of it or you made it and you're geeking out of it because you made the game. And you kind of want to be like, look at all the cool stuff it does. But it's very easy to just overdo it. And you really should, like any good pitch, kind of tease the strong points. And if they like it, they'll dig into it more. So pre-generated characters can be a great option. But Craig, I mean, like, we also know, like, the buy-ins less Mm -hmm. when someone gives you a character versus you making one. Do you feel like that that's a good way to go about it um, with, like, your own home group? or For a home group, I I don't think I have ever, and I don't believe I ever would give pre-generated characters to a home group for anything other than a one-shot. I've I've played in a campaign where we got pre-generated characters in the beginning. It was supposed to be our interim campaign when the pandemic became too dangerous <laughs> to meet in person. Uh, our we switched GMs for the campaign, and we decided we were going to play five E. We'd never played five E, um, well, not with not with our current makeup of the group. And our GM gave us pre-generated characters and what we did it was really fun because we were able to come up with the backstories for these characters um we could make a couple tweaks like let's say instead of i want to play the bard but i don't want to play a dwarven bard i want to play this we made a couple tweaks because we were all familiar with the system and then what our gm did was when when someone didn't decided they didn't like that pre-generated character and they were ready to make their own character he artfully wrote out soap opera style wrote out the character and a very carefully inserted uh like putting a baby bird into a nest put in the new character <laughs> in one way or another um and i thought that, that was a really good way to handle the mix between pre-generated characters and and these uh, characters that people were making along the way if you weren't into the character well we'll switch it out we'll we'll make a new one and boop, boop, worked really well it's very true too. Some people really like character creation can be their fun uh, while plenty of other people, you know, they're like, when do we get to play? Like, it's like the homework you do before play. Yeah. So it really can be different people's interests too. Yeah. Yeah. We had Ben on the show just recently and his, uh, he loves making new characters. He, ha- he has, he, he loves to like, I, I love seeing my characters die. Cause it means I get to try something new, <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah, like removing the burden of the player, you know, the character generation can help to get somebody just kind of into the game a little faster, but then you're also, you know, that's just one step. You're also then dealing with whatever the, um, what the rule subsets are. Like if, if, if I sit down with a group of people who have never played 5e before, and I had a, I hand a pre-generated wizard to somebody who's never played a D and D wizard. Now, all of a sudden they've gotten, 
the basic rules of just making checks. They've got to learn combat because every so often they'll have to actually deal with that sort of thing. They're going to need to know uh, spell casting and how that functions. If a familiar does something weird, they need to know how that functions. If there's a, you know, if there's different types of spells that do that, that are handled. I mean, if it's just damage spells, that's straightforward. But as soon as like if you give a, per, a person that's brand new to it or, or a person who is brand new to it chooses to undertake like spell, uh, uh, you know, play a wizard that has a lot of spells that have a lot of that middle ground, like, well, charm person, how far can you go with charm mm -hmm. person, you know? Well, and then they also have to make the decisions like every time you do a long rest, well, what am I going to prepare for the day? You have extra decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of little subsystems to, to, to learn about that. And so um, just, you know, uh, game aids that can help track that sort of thing, suggesting to the player, like if a player has to make those kinds of choices all the time about what spells they're going to, how they're going to use spells, what they're going to, what slots they're going to prep, you know, prep back up when they have time to, for their character to rest, however, whatever the subsystem, however it works, right, is, you know, encourage them perhaps to take notes on what, like, what they did from game session to game session. And they'll be able and, and, and make a note of like how well it worked. And like, they'll find, eventually they'll find kind of the sweet spot of like, okay, this is how my character functions really well. This is, I and now, and now it's becomes like, you know, once I start doing it this way all the time, it kind of becomes second nature. But I also have the option of knowing that I could handle my character a little bit differently if we're in a situation where I, where I need to, but that way they're not having to, you know, con constantly figure, you know, like, way one rule or one way of doing things against another because they've made a, a, a little bit of an effort to kind of keep track of like how they how they how they approach, approached it and how it worked out for them i think you know that's another great point of what you were leading into earlier was like right new people maybe in a complicated a game that might be complicated for them don't give them the magic user because there's a whole another chapter of choices that they have or like or at least be very upfront with them yeah, right. Exactly. Let them know what they're getting into. Because like Craig, what you mentioned earlier was also like when you're looking at gear, I mean, science fiction games generally are the worst when it comes to like all the options, which is the fiddly bits you can buy. But, you know, in something like Shadowrun, not only do you buy a cyber deck, but you, you buy the basically the hardware components of it to give it its four statistics. And then the software programs, which you individually then need to know if you purchase them, because why would you buy them otherwise? And how they match up against other counter programs. So you have gear within gear if you're a decker or some kind of a hacker in that, that game system. So yeah, there's just levels to what people will have to dedicate themselves towards understanding or, you know, some people will love that, right? So it's it's like where people's fun, fun is too. Right. But in a what makes like a challenging, complicated, crunchy rules game? Because like the funny thing about talking about cyberpunk elements like you were leading at is that some people like the shopping like that yeah. becomes a thing because it's almost like an element of Shadowrun or anything that cyberpunk is that that you know cyberpunk 2020 had catalogs of like cyberware that you would flip through just like magazines and they were designed just like you would use them as magazines because that's the appeal you start from nothing you can't afford this shit you're in debt but if you can and you start finding success you make money so you can do what Buy the cool shit in the catalogs. So that, that's like the part of the game is the players being able to have the post-game session shopping spree in the catalogs, which is interesting because the complicated part is also the appeal in that one, right? Like right. But mm -hmm. then, but then, like you said, that those purchases, you get your little endorphin high of like, <laughs> look at I got look at the cool thing I got. And now comes the anxiety of like, oh, I gotta learn how to use all this cool stuff. Uh, is yeah. it all they, 
they all do very specific things or they have, you know, some of this, this packet of stuff and that packet of stuff uses a slightly different subset, subset of rules. Yeah. I mean, eventually when you do play a very rules, like a lot, again, with a lot of rules, I won't say rules heavy because they could be very light rules, just a lot of them. You're going to run into a point where someone has to say, I don't know how this works. I need the book. And you're going to have to pause to flip for having this player flip through and try to find it out. But that kind of dead air as the GM, like what are some of the strategies? If they've made all these choices, they've they've decided I'm going to play the wizard anyway. I'm going to like shop all this catalog for Shadow Run. How are you going to have uh, deal with that dead air that might happen when that will happen? It, it's going to happen when people need to stop and look at the rules and do some rules negotiation. Well, I think. You know, first go to, as we've talked about before, is to have some one of the players at the table who's the kind of the dedicated rules guru, who uh, at least a lot of the time, if we need if we need to slow action down or, or somebody needs to look something up like, OK, you're the person like, you know, Pete, you're the person who wants to do this thing. You don't remember exactly how the rules go. You and just look that up, figure it out, make sure you know what's going on. I'm going to go to these other players over here and we're going to have a little scene. And we're going to kind of continue planning the heist or whatever it is that you're trying to do, right? Do a character flashback. Something. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever it might be. Another thought that I had was this was a, a rule a, a rule that earlier, I'm not sure what the current situation is, but I know in earlier iterations of some organized play, like at conventions, the, the rule was the two, the two book rule. You get the core book and you get one other book. And so we don't, you don't have people showing up with like, okay, my character is spread out across seven books <laughs> because I've got spells from this one and two magic items from that one and a subsystem of magic from this one. And yeah, you know, get, and, and you not, not to say you can't upgrade that. Like once everybody starts to get really comfortable with their two rule books, like you're maybe, you know, six <laughs> months into the game or four, four months in or however, you know, however long it takes you to play to. Kind of everybody kind of get them. It's like, okay, now everybody, like you want to have another rule book and pull some stuff from another rule book for you personally, you can do that. And then it's also kind of putting that impetus on the players to be like, all right, you want to dig into another rule book. I'm okay with that. I trust you to do it, but I'm not going to learn it all. You need to be on top of it. That's your responsibility as the so player. There's, so there's, there's a number of ways that I think you can, and, you know, and, to tell people, hey, you know, post-it notes, sticky notes, whatever tabs, like, you know, bookmark the things that you're going to be going to all the time. You know, if it's third edition and you got a grapple monkey, better bookmark that grapple monkey page, <laughs> the grapple page, because everybody forgets the grapple rules. Yeah, everyone does forget the grapple rules. I've I've often for like a complicated character made myself a cheat sheet where I copied like scanned yep. out a page of the book. I've highlighted the important parts if or I got... just copied it down by hand. Yeah, if you've got P if you got access to PDFs, even better. Copy paste. Do a little mm -hmm. copy paste, tweak a little formatting, get it all on a, on some pages. Have that thing, have those pages with your character sheet or have them on your tablet or your phone or whatever that you can flip through real quick. It's it's fun. You can do it in fun ways too. Um I've seen players make their spell book. Like have a little yeah. book with their spell they, book they, so they, they create can, an artifact of their yeah. own that they can actually use yeah yeah and it's it's really fun then you as a gm can do some fun things with that too like hey let me borrow your spell book and you paste something really evil in there like there's all sorts <laughs> of fun things this is what explode this is what exploding runes look like mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah there's there's all sorts of fun things then you can do with that but that the character cheat sheets and character notes like for a gm too because as a gm if you're playing a a 
a game with a lot of rules, there are probably a lot of rules that you also have to deal with as the GM and making sure that you have the ones that you use the most often available for you. Yeah. And you made me, I was thinking about the, you know, the hardest thing for a game master that I hear a lot from people is that with games that have this problem of like rules spread amongst many books, because it's generally like a Pathfinder yeah. or, or a Dungeons and Dragons problem. More predominantly, I've heard it with Pathfinder or th- like 3.5 or 3 books that had feats and perks mm-hmm. and like prestige classes in multiple books, you know, the things that were all over the place is there is like this rules lawyer nature that the players that gravitate to the games that benefit from min maxing like that often have game masters who feel like they've lost control when they don't know the rules that the players need or the things that they're doing. And it's a weird dynamic because I don't ever find myself in that place anymore because I just don't like for one, when Craig, when you, it took me back to like 20 years ago to think about when I, we had characters with like so many books that everyone was pulling them out of all different places, uh, which is just about my personal experience. But yeah, that's a real struggle because for me, I'm like, cool, I don't need to know all the rules or be perfect. You know, like we're all here to have a good time. So as long as we're all working at that and not holding it against each other, whether or not I know exactly how your specific rule works in that situation. But a lot of game masters struggle with that. Like, mm-hmm. I am supposed to be the person who knows the rules. And just the fact that you're bringing up something that I don't know just kind of irks me. And is that a control thing, you think? Or is that just natural that, like, you feel like it, you, you're not doing your job? Like, what makes a GM feel that way? I have had this happen to me as a teacher before where. Oh, that's a um, good example. You're, you're I, supposed to be the authority, right? Like, right. And like, that was how education used to be. The teachers who held all the knowledge and the students were supposed to observe it like sponges. Uh, and now most teaching philosophies like the modern ones are, well, you're all collaborating together, teacher, student, the teacher doesn't hold all the information. Students can find things. There are other resources around and, but letting go of that little bit of control can be like, to say like I don't know this information, let's find it out together. Like negotiating that and being the teacher, it does make you feel like oh no, I'm going to lose this respect that they're supposed to have for me as as the master of all the knowledge here. Or I teach a foreign language. If my students use a word that I don't know, as someone who speaks the language and their learners, like I I do have that little voice in the back of my head like. They're going to think that I don't know my stuff, sure. but that's not the case. They, they are excited. Like literally what's happening is they are excited about, about learning something. They've learned this thing. They want to use it. And it's an opportunity for them to teach you instead. Only the worst, <clears throat> like I want to get you kind of people are going to use that against you. And maybe yeah. those aren't people that you want at your table in the first place. I think it's, it's useful as, as a GM to, Tell the players, you know, like when you know you've got a lot of rules, especially I would say this is the case for like any game, but especially if you know you've got a really complex rule system, a lot of different rules that you're going to be dealing with. Tell the players up front and say, hey, you know what? I just don't know everything. I don't know the system inside and out. We're going to have questions at times. And there are going to be times when, you know, like you're going to be using an ability that your character has. And I'm going to ask you what that thing does. I, I can't, I can't know every spell, every superpower, every piece of equipment 
that and how it functions and be able to guide you through using it. I can answer questions if you're not sure about like, like how much we're going to let anybody get away with <laughs> in with, with an ability that's a little vague in the description, but like Jess, I mean, in, in Jess is playing in my code warriors uh, play test game. And I have on a number of occasions asked people, what does that feature do? I'm asking you what your characters, <laughs> what your character does. Yeah. I designed the game, <laughs> but that also means that, I've got six versions of that rule yep. in my head because that's the iterations it's gone through. And I don't remember what I finally settled on at this point in the playtesting. And the same goes for just a game that you're reading. Like you might misremember something about how something works and like you can't necessarily just pull it off the top of your head. Or like yeah. There's two abilities that are kind of similar, but there's a very distinct difference that comes into play and you forget which one that dis has that difference. That, that that makes it much harder to use or makes it more powerful or whatever it is. And so like at telling the players like, hey, I need, I need you to be up to speed on your stuff. And then we'll uh, when we hit when we do as a group hit a roadblock, we'll figure it out. No one should be expected to memorize 150 pages of a rule. like a lot of a lot of like these complicated rules books have a lot of pages. No one should be expected to memorize all of that. That's wild i have other important things to memorize <laughs> i got stuff to do you know if if i were meant to memorize this book why why are all of these rule books on the audio tape and then i have nothing to reference i have this book so i can go reference it you know like it should be obvious and i think i know from my own personal experience i think a lot of that comes from playing as a kid's Right. So like as kids, yeah. it's like you're all trying to learn the game through reading the book. So you're constantly learning by catching new rules or slight interpretations differently later, or maybe playing with some expert or, you know, having some game master run something for you. But like that growth and that experience of learning role playing games through reading and I don't know, like fine honing it mm -hmm. uh, leads to this need or like this, I don't know, almost prestige of being like. I know the rules like inside and out, whether or not you really do. And I know as a friend group that it's almost like competitive sometimes. So that leads to rules lawyering and min maxing and, and then complicated conversations throughout of this, these things. Um, and why some people don't want to run Lord of the Rings for their friends because they're like, so-and-so has watched all the movies more than I have. Yeah. But yeah, but like when we talk about it as people who make games, you're like, yeah, I always put in game master sections, like pose questions to your players, involve them, you know, things that like I do at the table. So I don't feel that pressure because I, I naturally GM that way where I'm throwing mm -hmm. things at the players of like, why don't you tell me? Or like, what does this look like? So when I don't know something, it just kind of seems like another question. Like, not like, yeah. you know, it's, it's like almost hidden. Oh, Pete asked me all kinds of questions about stuff. Well, it's natural for you now, but I'm sure that's not how yeah. we started off. You took yeah. So when Craig said that and kind of brought this to my memory, I was like, oh, yeah. And when I did spend more time with people who were Pathfinder players, in particular, like Pathfinder Society, they talk about that struggle, uh, you know, where they're like, how am I supposed to be the expert of the 17 million different yeah. packages? And, you know, the, I think the other the other twist is it's clear that like some games are complicated when they're 600 pages, but there are plenty of games out there, whether it's Numenera or Fate or 5e that I mean, like, honestly, the rules, the core rules of the game are like a slither of that huge book mm -hmm. uh, in comparison. And some games are complicated because they have a lot of little nitpicky things, but their core system's pretty simple. Can you think of a game that's like 
like I mentioned Burning Wheel is one of those where it's just like they got a lot of little rules for everything. But for the most part, it's not that hard. Like there's not like tons of math or something. I mean, D&D itself is a really good example of that. You could play with just a couple rules to know, but there are books upon books upon books that add other more complicated rules or add different feats and things like that. I mean, it's not as complicated as like 3.5 was because that's where you get that Pathfinder stuff from too. But that's a good example of that. I'm trying to think of one though yeah. that has like a small, like a small, like actual page count or word count. It's uh, just just as a, as a quick story, a quick side note. When I uh, when I lived in Milwaukee, right, and the year before Third Edition came out, one year before uh, Third Edition D and D came out at Gen Con, the year before at Gen Con, there was the big announcement that Wizards of the Coast touted, and we all went in there and we all got a T-shirt. And it was them basically giving us the preview of what third edition was going to be. And one of the things they sold the game to the gaming populace on was there's a rule for everything. There's a rule for that. You want to eat rocks. You can do that. We've got that covered. (laughs) And because, and it was a bit, it was a major turn away from second edition, which had a lot of GM fiat. There was a lot of gray area where the GM was expected to kind of just figure out and kind of apply common sense and figure out what to do. And third edition went the opposite direction in the biggest possible way. And we saw that in third edition and in 3.5s in, in the sheer bloat of, of source books. And like they had a rule for it. He, they weren't kidding. They had a rule for everything. And there's, you know, we're, we're well past all of that. And there's, you know, Pathfinder still has its, uh, is built off of that and has its fan base. And there are other games that are that prescriptive in their rules. Then that's what we're kind of talking about with all of these. But there are, there are other options and there are some like, like I, I'm having a hard time come up with coming up with them myself, but there are thinner game books that are still pretty crunchy. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, that's kind of what I see a lot because, you know, whether I'm looking at a lot of stuff from IPR or when it comes to stuff from the indie game developer network, there's a lot of times you grab a book and it's like 60, hundred pages and you're like, you flip through and you're like, Oh, I see the core mechanic. This is pretty easy. And then you start actually putting it at the table and you're like, Oh, there's a lot of if, ands, and buts, you know, that like exceptional rules. And those are the ones that you have to dig for because those are the ones that you don't ever remember because it only applies when you're grappling. It only applies when you're trying to learn a new skill. It only applies when someone's using a put down that is particularly harsh in front of a crowd. They get, you know, <laughs> just like, like they that, get particular modifiers, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> when I'm going to die, uh, well, in my head, I remember like if I'm if my character's gonna die, it's because I lose all my points in this one body part. Oh, but no, that actually has a role of when you actually maybe run in fear first. But if you lose three different locations, <laughs> that's actually when you die. But that only happens if you successfully make the role of the first one where you didn't run away. Okay, well, and then if you make us- that, everyone has to make a moral check anyway, otherwise they're all gone. You know, it's just those are like the what the where did that come from? You need a flow chart to understand the well in. <laughs> You know, I, I had this conversation very briefly on Discord the other day uh, with Morgan uh, Weeks, and we were just kind of talking about what Craig mentioned is this rule for everything and kind of wondering if it's also a phenomenon that's kind of coming back now because there are so many games being made by so many people, but the number of games that are being made by the same people, which maybe would show improvement in their game design as they grow as a game designer, um, are fewer and fewer because there's just so much abundance of new, right? Like new games, new people, new teams. Um, where 
is that why there seems to be so many small games that are trying to make a rule for everything? Um, so it's not a very super thought out thing here, but it was like this notion that we were talking about of so many games are trying to have a rule for everything and almost criticize sometimes when you don't, but like, mm -hmm. maybe it is philosophy. Like Craig, you were mentioning second edition D and D left more fiat. Some designers like Morningstar would tell you like, Hey, if I don't address it, it's because I think it was uh, less interesting if I addressed it and more interesting if I left it open for your table to interpret, you know, like, so there yeah. are people who think there's benefit in that fiat gets gray. There's less rules. There's, you know, less complications, but then there's, and I think there's just two different players, honestly. I mean, some people just tell me how to play the game. I don't want to come up with that stuff. And then there's the people who are like, Oh, I just, I like, I have to like it enough. Give me enough to go. And I don't need it all. Like, yeah. yeah. And we gotta we gotta switch topics. There's a lot of meat in here, um, but we gotta leave some of it at the table. Uh, <laughs> Chopping block. <laughs> what's our what's our second topic? What's our game design topic, Craig? Uh, well, it's sort of talking about rules, but not game design rules. It's the like the laws and norms to know if you're publishing, and not <laughs> How everybody many rules are too many rules. <laughs> <laughs> well. And the, the, the thing to, and this, this applies kind of to design as well, but also to publish, you know, heavily to publishing because that you're putting the product out there and it's like how that translates to the, 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 the buyer or the user, or the reader. But even if you're not specifically looking to publish yourself, if you're just designing something for your, for yourself, or you're looking to maybe design something and hoping that somebody else will publish it for you because you don't want to deal with all that junk that the three of us do deal with. Yeah. There, there, there are things that are worth keeping in mind um, even just from the design perspective. And I'll make a note, we've, we've spoken recently already about copyrights, trademarks, talked a little bit about IP, you know, intellectual property sort of stuff. We're not going to rehash any of that here. We're going to talk about some other things. I know the thing that's been on my mind has been, um, you know, like it's hard. It's very easy to make a game 90% of the way. And then that last 10% is the one where you, I mean, Craig, you're going to have the most experience here because you've made them finish the most products, but it, it's one of those things where like that last 10% is where all the difficulty comes because up to that point, people are like, oh, they're play testing. It's good. They're enjoying it. They have good feelings. That last 10% is like your legacy of the product. Like, <laughs> is this game great? Or is it just, you know, oh yeah, we have fun with it sometimes. Like, is it good enough? Um, and those are all the harrowing choices because there is complicated feedback from playtesting. And like I was just mentioning, there are people in the hobby that like all kinds of things. You can't make them all happy. So there's some choices that are like, do I make, at that point, am I making the game that I want to play? Am I making the game, do I know what my brand is? Like what my audience wants out of me? What choices do I make as the publisher here because of that? And which, where do you, which way do you lean when you don't know? You know, when you're just like, uh, it seems because there's so much that's hairy, right? There's so much that's just kind of this, you're a little on the fence. Um, Craig, how do you get through that last 10%? Like, <laughs> how do you make those choices? Do you rapid fire them or do you kind of lean publisher, lean instincts? Uh, boy. Uh, well, I'll say this, like, and this came out of, I was watching a, a thing recently and somebody made the, somebody made a comment that the, the, the phrase I'm a bit of a perfectionist is meaningless <laughs> because nobody does everything or even most things, or even sometimes anything perfectly. Um, and this was something that kind of occurred to me some time ago too. It's like, I, 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 I always consider myself a bit of a perfectionist, but what if I really completed that's perfect? Nothing, nothing at all. Not a single thing that I've done in my life has been perfect. 
I am a good enough that I'm satisfied and I can live with it. Ist. <laughs> it, it, it gets to the point where like this is this is this is solid this is good i'm happy with what i've got is it perfect no are there you know i, I put the caveats in there like you know hey hey gms and players fill in the gaps like trust each other i trust you to interpret the rules etc um and then then it almost becomes mechanics of and i don't mean game mechanics i mean it's the mechanics of like now taking it that last 10 percent and being like I'm not changing anything anymore. It's gone through editing. It's in the midst of layout. I'm not going to fuck with it. <laughs> um, and I'm going to get it done. And there, and, and then you kind of, then you take the steps that you need to take the steps. And I kind of, I, you know, like with that, with a project, with a product like that, I'll switch modes and it'll be like, and sometimes these, some of these things have to happen earlier. Like one of the norms to think about in publishing is if you decide you want to go with offset printing is like understanding how offset printing works. And how that influences how you're going to design and how you're going to lay out the book and how you're going to uh, uh, like what what you should think about like you know like I I, I made a c conscious choice on a project on, on Code Warriors that's coming later it's going to be 192 pages dead spot on 192 why because that's a multiple of 16 and 16 is a magic number for offset print runs to get the best price per page so that actually informed my design. It's like also the, the, the idea that I want my per unit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so not to get it, I mean, we could, we could spend an hour talking about how offset printing works, but like, you know, just like uh, when it comes to publishing and P POD, same thing for print on demand printing or, or for putting together a PDF with hyperlinks and those sort of things, like know how those things are done. Know, know what's kind of the accepted way of handling things like if you put out a PDF that doesn't have hyperlinks in the table of contents, you're kind of not doing it right. If you put out a book that's bigger than maybe 50 pages and you don't have an index, you're kind of not doing it right. It can doesn't have to be a super complex index. It doesn't want to have to be like Shadowrun's index that's like 17. <laughs> yeah, like a dozen pages. Yeah. But you know, an you index still can't of, find um, things in there. An, like, an, an, inde an index of one page double column, you know, that gets you to all the major points of the book. Right. You know, there's there's knowing kind of like what what the game book is kind of expected to be, what how people are going to use it, what they're going to expect out of it. That's not to say that you can't break the rules occasionally. There's not to say that people don't do experimental stuff that's really interesting. You know, somebody writes a game that they put entirely on this like layout that looks like a cereal box that you can like fold it up and put it and make it a cereal box and all the rules are on the game and you put the cereal box in the middle of the table. Hey, that's a great, you know, that's fun. But, you know, uh, you still needed to know kind of how to create that thing that could actually fold up, be put together, which is like another, you know, like boxes are constructed a certain way, like learn how a box is put together. And so any product that you're going to put out as a publisher, and it's worth thinking about some of these things as a designer too, and helping to make the publisher's life easier, which might be your life. Um, if you self-publish is to kind of think about those things. And, you know, there it's, there's, there's sometimes there, I think to, to kind of swing back around to Pete's question, that's like the, the last 10%, sometimes it's a question of just like this, this is in this compartment, this is in a different compartment. And I can't let, there comes a, there comes a point where all the work done up front can't influence the other stuff unless it's like incredibly important. Like I suddenly discover a gigantic failure on my part or something that I missed entirely. That's going to really screw things up. What you said about being a perfectionist, like, yeah, no one, no one ever does anything perfect. Uh, but I think perfectionism is less than less about what you actually do. And then more about like the fears and the anxieties you have 
when you are creating something because we have this fear that I'm going to do something wrong and it's going to tank this project. It's going to tank my entrance into into role-playing games. It's going to do some damage that I cannot fix later. But there are very actual few things that will, first of all, there are very few actual things that will, will do that. You have to like actually make a, a mean purposeful mistake, I feel like, uh, to completely irrevocably harm your, your TTRPG career. There, there are some things that you can do that should be obvious that you should not do, but people do them anyway. Uh, but that's a separate point. But I think that anxiety comes from the fact that a lot of these norms and rules and these things that Craig was talking about, like, oh, make an index in your book. Oh, oh learn how to make this box correctly. All, all these things. They are not always explicit rules. A lot of these things are things that a lot of publishers have had to figure out from reading and playing a lot of games and absorbing the rules through the patterns that they see or even through conversations that they've had with other publishers. And that can be, it can be really daunting and scary because if there's not, if there's not a, here is the rule book for TTRPG publishing, here's where you can go find the, what you do when your book is going to be this many pages and what you should do when the book is this many pages. So that leaves a lot of this unknown space. So what do you, what do you do as a new publisher? What do you, where do you go to find that information? How, how, how do you know? How do you know you should have an index? That is, that is literally a conversation that I have seen started with people in the IGDN discord on Twitter. And I know of at least one game designer and publisher who is looking at publishing something that will do that. And the question has always been, why isn't there something like this? And I think the, the a, a, <laughs> a rule book of how to publish a game, how to put a product out for RPGs. I think the, the general, the, the reasoning why is probably because it's such an incredibly small market um, that it hasn't codified those sorts of things very well. And so hopefully we will start to see some of those types of things actually come in, into existence. But where do you go now is being a member of, of a community of like-minded people, whether it's the Indie Game Developer Network or kind of curating your Twitter feed to be like a lot of game designers and publishers. So you're seeing what they're doing because people will sometimes share their foibles, reading their, you know, whatever their blog post or subscribing to their newsletters to hear about things or being on their discord. If you want to see the gritty, and and this is not entirely self-promotion, but it is a little self-promotion. If you want to see the grim and gritty of the day-to-day of the, uh, of, of of a small one person self publisher, come on my discord. It's all I talk about. <laughs> it's it's seventy five percent of what I post on the Discord. I mean, I literally tell people like I, I I talk about like exactly where each project is, and I talk about like and I ran into this huge problem, and I so I did this this way, and I I had a whole discussion about how I was getting uh, what what I was doing for offset print runs for when I did it the first time, and I had you know talk and people ask questions and I'll answer them. If you come into the if you come into a community and you're engaged with people. And, you know, you form like you, you become part of the community where you're, it's obvious you're not there to just milk information out of people, but you're actually kind of part of the community and you're interested and people will answer questions for you. Um, I've had many people on the discord and, and it's happened in Twitter and Facebook too, where people that I get to know that like, I feel, I, I feel as if I, if, if I asked them a question like that, they would also respond to me. It's not just some rando that I don't know anything about or doesn't really know me that well. 
but if they come in and they say, you know, like I'm looking, I'm designing my own first game and blah, 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 this, or blah, 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 that, or like, how do I, like, how hard is it to set something up on drive through RPG to sell, like to get a publisher account? And I've answered those questions. Like just surround yourself with those people and become part of that community and then start asking questions. I know for me as a frequent con goer, and when I was interested in game design and publishing, uh, that was kind of an avenue I leaned into was going to more conventions. Uh, and uh, you know, obviously that's networking is what people think, but you know, there's a lot of great seminars and workshops. Uh, and I was definitely a product of those because especially, I mean, there's no greater than Metatopia, but even places like Gen Con and Origins do have some things, whether it's a book printer telling you about offset print runs. My first game I, I made with Thompson Shore, and that was because Bill Wern was the salesperson. He went to Gen Con, gave a seminar and showed his samples and told us about signatures of pages and all kinds of stuff. And then not to mention when you make those connections, you get a business card. This guy wants you to print your books and hopefully through them and you build the connection with an expert, right? Someone who will answer these questions and even help you walk you through your process along the way. Uh, Bill's not with Thompson Shore anymore, but you know, but Metatopia is the is the royalty when it comes to seminars and panels because you literally can go there. It's in Morristown, New Jersey. It's been online. So there's a lot recorded too if you look up double exposure and Metatopia. Um, over the last couple of years. But I mean, they talk about all kinds of stuff. You want to talk about like learn a little bit about sea freight from China. You know, if you want to learn about how do you package goods to send to people so that nothing gets banged up, you know, from Jason Walters, you know, you want to hear about the 80s, the 90s, the currents of, you know, Darren Watts has lived through it all. You know, there's just all, a wealth of information coming from people from all over the world with all different backgrounds. Um, new designers, mid-tier designers, big publishers, anyway. So there, there's a wealth there. And I know uh, just one more uh, sort of pitch there is the RPG Design Panel Cast is a podcast that Jason Pitt has been collecting a lot of those seminars uh, over the years on. There's like 400 episodes. So that's another thing I keep track of because uh, I know people can't go to New Jersey every year, you know, in November, but you can hear a lot of the great stuff uh, there as well. So. Yeah, I was about to mention that. I was just like, I was yeah. getting ready to throw it into a chat to you to say, hey, yeah. remember to mention this. Oh, sure. Yeah. And well Craig, done, you know, segued right into it. Another person like you that I think it's you that I think is still active blogging is Douglas Cole. Remember Doug Cole of Gaming yeah, yeah. Ballistic? I mean, here's another guy who's always of, sharing. He was discussing all and, sorts of in, insights. He had a whole, a really great breakdown of like how, it, it, are there rules for pricing your product? Yeah, he yeah. had a breakdown where he sampled a ton of products and he sat down and he worked up a formula and said, this formula hits, <laughs> hits about, and this formula hits about 90% of the time. Yeah. And 90% you know, of products fall exactly in what I've defined here. He like, he did the math. Yeah. Um, and he also had a great uh, discussion of, he was comparing different print on demand printers and he had, he got the same book printed um, with the same specs at like three or four different mm-hmm. print-on-demand printers, put photos up there, talked about, talked in detail about what the cover looked like, how the, what the, <laughs> yeah. what the how the bleed played out, how showed it was pictures found. of the binding. If you were a member of the IGDN, yeah, yeah, he showed, uh, talked about like the the color saturation on the interior, like which ones had better deeper colors and which ones looked more like photocopy. You know, it was, yeah. And there's people out there doing all that sort of stuff. You want to learn a lot of there's a lot of transparency stuff that comes out of Evil Hat. They yeah. publish a lot of transparency stuff. They talk about their 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 financials and deadly how, friendly how, how dot com. I think how, yeah. how different how different things play out for them on the financial end and 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 with publishing and um, convention attendance and you know like how they like you know kind of how they make their money like how they how the how the company stays afloat how they can do what they do as a as a 
and and this the and they're and they're not shy about talking about the trials and tribulations. I've seen a few like they did, and then other people too talked about like you know when the pandemic hit and some stuff contracted and some companies contracted their you know they had they had layoffs and like their 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 total business contracted. Um, they talked about that. Yeah. And so you can kind of think about that now, like, you know, if you're a single person publisher or a pair, a partnered pair publishing, it's, it's, it, you know, and everybody's freelancers, <laughs> it's, it's a different beast, but um, there are still tidbits to be learned, even if you're not dealing with a business with multiple employees and, and, and how that works out financially and everything. I, I think one of the things that like, there's a lot of people right now too, that are, you know, coming up with ways to introduce people to publishing their own games and, and, and covering some of these rules. Like, yeah, there's like a lot of places to go. And that kind of goes into the analysis paralysis of like, where do you go and find this information? But you do have this huge wealth right now of information at cons and panels, especially stuff online. We have podcasts like this one, um, the, the panels that you mentioned. IGDN is also doing for this summer, we're doing a summer series on making games. So another resource there. But I do want to pop in a perspective about gender diversity in these kinds of spheres, because a lot of the, this is not like supposed to be a dig on you guys, but a lot of the names, I think maybe all of the names that you mentioned were all men. And there are a lot of women in the space too, that are, that are doing very similar things and introducing um, uh, women and people of marginalized genders and people of color as well. Um, adding their own insights into this. And I think it's important to get that kind of perspective because the people who, anyone who says that they know everything about publishing is lying to you. They don't, not even Wizards of the Coast knows everything about publishing. They know the rules that they have created through holding the power in the industry. So um, especially we have the benefit of being indie game designers. Uh, we have the benefit of being able to make up some of our own rules and do what is right for our own specific games and our own specific communities. So um, I, I want to give the voice to people who might be like, yeah, I want to make games, but all these people who are teaching me about it are, they don't look like me. They don't sound like me. They don't look like me. They don't come from my community. Their, their, you know, their rules and their, the things that work for them aren't going to work for me. They don't work for me. There are people out there who are um, helping with that. I know that we that like today um, there were some panels for Big Bad Con about that that feature people um, from a variety of backgrounds about making games and about even doing things like delivering panels. I know that um, Sword Queen Games, Ray from Sword Queen Games often does um, stuff about their layout design and how to do it. Um, Kristen Devine does podcasts about like with creators like this as well and talking about kind of the, the background of games too. And, and you can you can find all sorts of people out there. Um, unfortunately, it is a, a far smaller community um, than it should be, but uh, they do exist and you shouldn't, I, I would I would like any of the listeners out there <laughs> who, who fall into those marginalized communities to, to know that there are people doing these things and you can do it too. And there, there are other strategies out there as well. Banana Chan has been doing Banana a Chan. really great series of videos um, where they talk directly to your face. 
in on YouTube and talk about a bunch of these things. And they're usually uh, in the kind of 10 to 15 minute range. And uh, Banana is is funny and engaging and has um, built a, a, a pretty solid uh just a, a very broad array. Like they work at, they work in a lot of different types of games. They, they do some publishing themselves through their own company. Um, they partner with other people. They just, they just, you know, contribute design as, as a freelancer in different places. They, you know, and they're in board games and card games and <laughs> all sorts um, of stuff and RPGs and everything too. Um, and so I, I very much hope that banana continues to do that because I've been enjoying <laughs> those videos yeah. quite a bit. Yes. I'm glad you brought up big bad con. Cause that'd probably be a, I have never been to Big Bad Con. I've wanted to go just that it's in California. So it's it's one of the few that's actually the hardest for me to get to. It's, yeah, it's tough. And, and the yeah. timing. The timing is sometimes rough because October-ish when it, when it used to happen at least. But I, there is probably no convention that I know in the gaming space that is more focused on being inclusive and diverse. And holding, you know, they have host dinners and parties that are just for people of color or you know, I mean, they, they do all kinds of things to point, put a spotlight on diversity. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, like the panels that you would get out of a place like that uh, and seminars and workshops that I was talking about are probably even more targeted and open for, uh, you know, uh, people who uh, are looking for that in particular. Right. So. And I, I think. Breakout I used to be good for that, too. I was going to say breakout is a little yeah. bit more that way, too, if you can make it out of Canada, uh, although a big bad, you know, like that's their when you when we talked earlier about branding, like that's big bad's. Brand. Yeah, like they, they, yeah, they kudos. I, I say kudos to Sean Nittner, but I'm not sure if it if he would take all the credit. But usually, yeah, he's the guy, the, the face of it that usually we're like, wow, great job, you know. Yeah, I, I just think it's important to get more of the voices out there too. It is, it is kind of daunting to to look at the if you like it, like how to make a TTRPG, how to get into TTRPG publishing, and if you saw a bunch of people who aren't like you, you'd be like, oh, this is not a space for me subconsciously or not i'd also credit itch i mean like yeah, itch has been itch. something you know I, when you were talking about that one of the criticisms i had on myself is that for a long period of time you know people would be like well how do i get into this i don't have any money i don't have a job i i want to and i'm like dude you are asking how do i start a business and make a product with no money and no job like you don't you know like that's just kind of like the how where I came from with that was like, you know, it takes a little bit of money to make some money. Like that's kind of what it is. Or, you know, people who are taking money out of their own income to make this a thing that they want to put their money and interest into like a hobby. But itch has been a door that, you know, uh, where you can really, if you have the time, the dedication, uh, you know, the, the bar for cost is so low and times are growing where PDFs are, you know, increasingly more, more, I don't want to say successful, but, you know, are more consumer interested i don't know what you'd say they're more, they're more oh, popular yeah, yeah. They're, more, they're more popular and more yeah. accepted than they were five years ago as and like my, my games my games, my games projects are doing only great in a, you know? yeah only in an electronic form um for those not uh completely in the know itch.io is uh, has a lot of rpg stuff going on there's bigger games and you know games from publishers that you yeah like big bigger publishers that you know that are there that they have their beautiful stuff available as we're making as well but it's it's um it's a heck of a space for a lot of like lower cost to create sort of stuff, experimental stuff, smaller scale stuff, all sorts of really interesting, weird things that you might not even think about. Like, oh my God, there's an RPG for this. Most pages are almost like a devlog. You can follow along and see the progress and the growth and try it for free and then later get it. Yeah. 
they do game jams there too, which is another great space to learn. And, and the expectations, yeah, the yeah. expectations there too, when you're publishing like on itch in particular, and I have like, all, I think almost all or all of my games are both on both itch and drive through there. There are different like expectations from the people who go there to get games than they do at drive through RPG. I sure. have games on drive through RPG that are like way successful, like way more successful on itch than they were on TTRPG. Yeah. Uh, because of just the nature of the the way that they were. And that just goes to show you that there's not one set of norms for publishing. There are diff- there are just like in any space, there are different norms depending on the the audience and the community and who is producing. Are we good to wrap up? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that we we just had like a I, I really think that this is a conversation that is it's like so daunting and so important uh it's it's scary to try to you don't want to make a mistake no one wants to make a mistake it's that perfectionism attitude that craig was talking about no one wants to i mean well you, you spend so much time and effort yeah you know like there are games coming out constantly but like your projects can be a year two years three i mean they just a lot of time and dedication especially when most people have a second or third job or kids or family or you know partners and but you know there's just a lot and everyone's busy let alone a game designer doing it as a second or third thing yeah. there's a lot of sacrifice and opportunity cost and then it pops out and you're like i hope someone likes it if they can find it let alone buy it you know because there's yeah. just so many games so that perfectionism is like also a bit of a not disease but it's also a bit of the effect of that whole situation that also kind of happens in the public you know, because it's on social media and yeah. So well, Pete, speaking of all the things you have to do, thank you for spending some time with us today I, to talk I'm happy about this. To. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me back. Of course. You'll be our three Pete next time. Well, tell us, <laughs> tell us about like your stuff. Where can we find your games and, <sighs> and learn more about you? Yeah. So my company is imagininggames.com. Uh well, that's my company website, but that's also the company name. So yeah, if you go there, you can find all my social links and uh see what's going on. Uh conventions are kind of kicking back. We go to Motor City Comic Con in the Detroit area next week. And then Origins, we have a booth there next month and uh going back to Fear the Con, which I'm really excited for. So that's in June as well. So excellent. Awesome. You can find my games at wannabegames.com or like I mentioned on drive through RPG and itch. And I'm on Twitter at at Joska. I am Craig from Nerdburger Games. I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. The website is nerdburgergames.com and there's stuff on drive through RPG as well. There's a Patreon starting to get caper cyber underway. The artist is under contract um, like right now. Um, and we're going to start concepting and you're going to get to see all that stuff if you go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash nerdburgercraig. We're going to, you're going to see uh, a whole, like the, the second half of game development, basically, and as well as a whole bunch of art stuff. Really cool behind the scenes stuff. Well, thank you also to Avel for, oh, sorry, Steph Sachs for the opening and closing theme of our podcast, which is Avel. Thank you, Steph Sachs, for releasing that under Creative Commons. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye.